Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to talk once again to a very, very accomplished photographer who's also got a passion for inclusivity, uh, Mr. Raj Bandopadhyay from New York, USA. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. It's a pleasure to be here again. Wonderful. Uh, Raj uh, is an owner and photographer of Series A Photography. He was earlier a data scientist and a software engineer. He's a BTEC in computer science from IIT Bombay, and he's a PhD from Rice University. So Raj, today we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let me start by asking you, why do you believe that photography has an inclusion problem? Yeah. So think of the term model mm -hmm. or supermodel. Mm -hmm. Just think of it, like whatever comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guarantee you that the, when you think of someone who looks like a model, mm -hmm. there is something very specific that probably comes to mind. And if I may venture further, mm -hmm. it's probably someone who is young, very fit, very thin, very flexible, most likely very light-skinned. That already shows that we have some ideas of what it means to be a model or what it means to be somebody who is photogenic or worthy of being photographed on the camera. Mm. Now, if you might think, okay, that's only for fashion. Mm. But what we see in fashion shows up in every part of our life. Correct. Right? And... Every part of it, I hear this at an individual level from my clients all the time where they feel like, oh, I'm too dark skinned to be photographed or I'm too fat. I need to lose weight. I need, you know, I'm too old. Uh, there are various ways that this shows up in our everyday life, in our heads. Mm. And I think that's a problem that photography has created over time. Mm. You know, you're, you're so right. You know, there are certain profiles, stereotypes, which we all seem to have established in our own minds. And yet there are, you know, when you have someone who's uh, not one of the stereotypes, then we single it out and say, oh, this person is a very, very interesting uh, right. black photographer, yeah. a black model. I yeah, wondering, exactly. Why do they have to be singled out? Why do you have to say, we don't say someone is a white model. Exactly right, and and from the from the perspective of a camera, the camera is just a machine. It doesn't care what you look like. It's all the all the stereotypes and prejudices that we humans impose on the camera that causes this. Absolutely. And can you give me a few examples of how the exclusion problem shows up in the craft of photography? Yeah, there are so many ways. So think of the idea, like you know, when photography in the craft involves so many things, technical things like posing, lighting, editing, composition, all of that stuff, right? So let's go through some of, quickly go through these one by one. Hmm. Posing, you know, when we think of posing, we think of photos as having like, you know, as if you want to be photographed, you have to pose in a certain way, right? And those are good poses that we've known for hundreds of years, maybe even right. thousands of years from right. starting from ancient statues. Hmm. But in every culture, the poses are designed for certain kinds of bodies, bodies that are considered already beautiful in that culture, right? And not everyone can do those poses. Often, when you, when you have to do those poses, you have to be very fit, very flexible, often very thin, 
to actually pull those poses off, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So already it's like you can see how it's exclusive. Let's talk about lighting. Mm -hmm. When I started learning photography as a craft, portrait photography, the first thing I was told almost is that this is the way men have to be lit. This is the way women have to be lit. Mm -hmm. Similarly with posing, we have men's poses and women's poses. Why? Because you have to make light men from the side because it makes them look more strong and rugged. And the poses for men are very big and involve triangles. Whereas for women, you have to light them from the front because that makes them look ethereal and more soft and gentle and you have to focus on curves. Mm. Cool. Good, okay. Once again, you're emphasizing certain gendered stereotypes here, but okay. But then what happens to everyone who doesn't quite conform to that? Okay. There are plenty of men, plenty of women who don't conform to their you know, binary stereotype. But nowadays, there are a lot of people who are openly non-conforming in gender identity. Yeah. What do you do with them? There is nothing that the craft of photography really tells you mm. uh, about that. Similarly, editing tools, like, you know, you might have filters on your phone, like your Instagram filters or your iPhone mm -hmm. filters. They are, you know, certain defaults that change colors and exposures in certain ways. Mm -hmm. They have, they are based on older film, what's called film stock, different kinds of film. And those film stocks have been calibrated for lighter skin tones. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when you use default filters, people with lighter skin often look better. People with darker skin often look washed out or bad or invisible. Mm -hmm. And even the algorithms that automatically process those images on our phone are designed for that mm -hmm. because that's a tradition or that's a that's something they've inherited from film. Okay. So there are so many, like these are some of the technical ways. And mm -hmm. then in terms of composition, you know, there's a whole controversy with like, you know, how photographers from like National Geographic or whatever photograph cultures in like global South countries, right? Mm -hmm. Like they will go into a country and we, you know, and we do that often when we photograph. We go into a country that's a poorer country and we'll take pictures of people like without really taking, getting permission from them or understanding what yeah. their story is. Yeah. And that's often called, you know, that's the more colonial kind of what's way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. Similarly, there is, you know, when we're taking pictures of women, there's this idea of the male gaze. Mm -hmm. Like we often, especially if you're male photographers, but more, many of us do it anyway, where we are emphasizing what we like about them rather than how they want to be photographed. Okay. So they're like, the, these are many of the ways where it shows up. Very well said. Thank you. And where do these exclusionary biases come from? So there is some fascinating history of photography. There's a fantastic New York Times article that I'll send you a link to and that you might want to share in the show notes called The Racial Bias in Photography that came out a few years ago. Okay. But I'll summarize some of the things from there. So the first photograph that was ever taken or the known photograph that exists is from 1827. So it's mm. about 200 years ago. Mm. Uh, it was a, a French photographer. Mm. And since then, so, so photography as a craft is about 200 years old, but it's only been accessible to a general population for maybe the last 50 to 60 years okay. because with cheap cameras and like, you know, <clears throat> uh, and now smartphones. But before that, you had to have a lot of specialized knowledge and equipment Correct. and access to be a photographer, mm -hmm. right? You had to have access to dark rooms and all of that, which means that for most of history, photography has been the domain of wealthy people, particularly wealthy men, and globally speaking, wealthy white men. Mm. That is just a fact. Now, you can imagine that what kind of preferences they might bring to right. photography. 
Right. right. They might have a preference for certain kinds of bodies, certain kinds of subjects to photograph, certain kinds of ways of seeing the world. Mm. Right. And so that is probably the foundational bias in photography, which in turn actually inherited from Renaissance painting because mm. photography was developed in France and Europe. Mm. The traditions of portrait photograph uh, painting in the Renaissance got transferred to photography and that just got perpetuated throughout the world. Mm. Now, we see that idea throughout throughout the world, like, you know, the wealthier, lighter skin, like upper class, upper caste men in India, yeah. being able to like in India, if you look at early photographers, they're all like royalty, mm. like Maharajas who had who had the means right. and time to be photographers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's one. Now, in the 1950s, there was this Kodak started coming out with more like, demo, you know, common cameras like uh, like for general use. Mm -hmm. And they created something called a Shirley card. Now, this is a card that had a picture of a light-skinned woman named Shirley, mm -hmm. who was the standard for, like, how to photograph human skin. So that was a standard up to which, like, other photographers, when they were developing their film, could calibrate to, mm -hmm. right? Now, in the 60s, photographers started complaining about the Shirley card because they couldn't photograph dark tones. Mm -hmm. Now, they did not complain about it because they couldn't photograph dark-skinned people, mm -hmm. but these were photographers who photographed furniture. Mm. And they they complained that the darker leather furniture didn't photograph well with the Shirley card. So Kodak started introducing darker skin, you know, darker tone mm. calibrations. But it wasn't until the 1990s that mm. there was a, a an inclusive Shirley card with three different skin tones. 1990 or 1990? 1995. Wow. That Kodak introduced a Shirley card that was like had three skin tones. There was a white woman and Asian, East Asian That's woman. only 28 years ago. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, and then all of, as I said before, all of this, the, the characteristics of the film got incorporated into the algorithms that are currently in smartphones to process mm -hmm. our, our uh, you know, current photographs that we take and the default processing and the filters that happen. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is a summary of where these biases mm -hmm. come from. It's along like the history of like colonialism, racism, you know, all of that. And just plain stereotyping when you, that you get when you have only a small section of population being able to mm -hmm. set the tone for Amazing. an art. Amazing. And you know, Raj, we've spoken earlier as well, and <clears throat> you are a BTEC in computer science, IED Bombay, and you've done so PhD from Rice University when you decided to pursue your passion. But when did you start thinking about inclusion from a yeah. photography, photo, photographic perspective? So I had a strange journey into photography. Mm. I started photography partly because when my, my partner, now my husband, then my wife, mm. came out as transgender and started the process of transitioning from female to male. Okay, and that kind of made me just think about my own life and take up photography more seriously. But then, one of the things I was doing at that point with him was like taking pictures of him as mm -hmm. he was going through his gender transition, mm -hmm. right? And so I started like so we used to take a picture. I remember like this was kind of you know midway through his yeah. transition, I guess, or early on. Mm -hmm. We used to take a picture, and he'd be like, when he looked at the picture, and he's like, "This looks too feminine." Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want this. I want to look more like a man. And that made me question, like, okay, what does that even mean? How do I do that? Because if I'm taking a picture of somebody who's been a man all their life, they just stand like a man, right? We don't have to, like, think about it too much. Right. We might tweak something, but I don't have to tell you how to, like, stand like a man. 
Whereas with him, I had to like actually break down what it meant to like stand like a man versus stand like a woman and how do we actually like know you know change that. As I was doing that, that was when I was learning and taking all these courses in photography. Mm. And that was when I was learning, okay, these are men's poses, these are women's poses, this is men's portrait, this is these are women's portrait. I was like, oh, there is nothing teaching me about how somebody who's more in between mm. or not conforming in certain way or transgender or non-binary, like there's nothing teaching me that. Mm. Because I think I was going through that life journey at the same point as learning photography, it kind of opened my eyes to this like this gap mm. in photography education. And then once you see one gap, you just start noticing other gaps. Mm. There's just like no way around it. Interesting. But my other question to you is that why do you feel inclusion is a problem? You know, these are only photographs. So one thing I like to say is that even in the age of TikTok, even in the age of like, you know, AI, all of that, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, we are, we humans are visual machines. Correct. There's a statistic that says that we look at a photograph and processes, processes it in our head mm -hmm. in 13, one, three milliseconds. Wow. That's a fraction of a fraction of a second, mm -hmm. which means that, Photography is extremely powerful in terms of conveying messages to our brain. Right. It bypasses our conscious brain. It's how we see the world. It can make a difference, mm -hmm. um, which is why even, you know, these, you see, you know, you walk through an airport, you walk through the street, you still see the biggest brands in the world still investing millions of dollars in high quality photos because they want to convey an impression. Mm -hmm. Right. So it matters who we see as at a, a social level. At an individual level, something I hear from my clients all the time is like, oh, I'm too old to be photographed. I'm too old to be, or I'm, I'm, I need to lose 20 pounds, or my skin is too dark. When you have beliefs like that around being seen, those limiting beliefs don't just, at an individual level don't just affect you in front of the camera. They affect you the rest of your life. Being, you know, when you're putting out your brand, when you're like building your business, you have to be seen. If you are worried about being seen if you feel like you're not worthy of being seen that affects your whole life as an individual fascinating you just spoke a little bit about uh, technology and artificial intelligence tell me how the role technology can play uh, in addressing dei issues uh, in photography yeah so one of the sad things right now we are seeing is that ai by default is replicating those biases that we already have. Now, I, I did a little personal experiment on Midjourney, which is one of these AI tools for creating photos the other day. I was just playing with it. And I was like, give me picture a picture of bankers on Wall Street. Mm. And what it did was everybody in the picture created a picture with like thousands of people which looked on something that looked like Wall Street. They mm. were all white men. Wow. And then in order to change that, I had to explicitly give prompts. Like, give me a picture of banker, black female bankers on, on Wall Street. And what it did was it gave everyone white men and then one black woman Amazing. in front of me, like in front of the camera. And the background was all white. So you can see already the phenomena of like tokenization and stereotyping happening, even in AI. It's replicating that. Mm. But AI actually has an opportunity to change that. Okay. The problem is that right now the default AIs like Midjourney and Dali, they are they are trained on data that already exists and they are training that indiscriminately without actually thinking about or curating. Mm. 
hmm. the data in some way. Whereas yesterday I saw an ad or a bunch of people were talking on LinkedIn about uh, this new tool called Adobe Firefly, hmm. which is also a, an AI generation tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, generative AI tool, and they claim to be much more curated, where okay. they've actually put thought and, and tried to eliminate the bias by making the tra- training data more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very important because when you create, now, you know, if you can, if you can imagine, you know, do my same prompt, give me a picture of bankers on Wall Street, which gives me a much more inclusive, uh, diverse kind of picture, that changes our minds as to what's mm-hmm. possible, Right. Because of the power of photography. Mm. So that's one way that AI can actually change that. Mm. Uh, AI and technology, that's a, probably the most important way. Correct, correct. And what can photographers and artists do to change this? Yeah. So I, I see many photographers who talk about inclusion and they're like, mm. I want to work or I want to be inclusive and work with many kinds of clients. But then when you go to their portfolios, when you go to their website, you just still see Mm -hmm. the same kinds of bodies, the same kinds of people being depicted. And I get that. Like you want to show your best work, you know, best by whatever standards of society, right? And you you want to show your work that you think is most beautiful. But you have to question what what standards you're subscribing to, Mm -hmm. right? So... One of the things is if I am a client or if I am looking to be photographed and I go to a photographer's website mm. and I don't see anyone that looks like me, mm. I'm less likely to to work with the photographer, mm. right? And if I don't see, if I, if I look at 50 photographers and none of them have people that look like me, I'm going to feel like, oh, maybe I'm just not worthy of being photographed and I'm going to go away and I'm never going to show up. Okay. So that creates a vicious cycle. If you don't show the work with diverse people, mm-hmm. diverse people are not going to come to you to be photographed. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing I think that photographers can do is be really proactive about their portfolio. If look at your portfolio, see who is missing right. and and go out and find those people and and showcase them, Amazing. work with them. Yeah, absolutely. Great response. My next question, Raj, is how can photography be used as a tool for social justice and change? particularly for the marginalized communities? Yeah. So one of my big inspirations is what a movement called decolonizing photography. Mm -hmm. Now, I just talked about what colonized photography looks like, and it sounds like a very kind of weird social justice term, but it's actually what we do that all the time. Like, imagine, like, you know, when we travel, like, you know, in India, I remember, like, you know, my parents and I, when I was a kid, we used to travel somewhere, uh, we are, you know, people do that all the time to some exotic place. You are just taking pictures of people who feel exotic to you, yeah. right? You might take like, you might go to like Varanasi or something and take pictures of people who are bathing in the yeah. heart or mm-hmm. or something like that. Or or if you're, you know, traveling internationally to Africa or something, you take pictures of some people on the street. So that's the kind of photography that nowadays people are starting to question, especially people who are from the global majority, as we call it. Mm-hmm. They're like our marginalized populations. It's like, this is the kind of, like, is this the kind of photography that you would do with, with your friends? Is it the kind of photography that would you that you do in your own community? Mm-hmm. Probably not, right? When you're, when we are doing, when we are photographing people that we feel some kind of connection to, mm-hmm. we get to know them. We try to understand their story. And then we take pictures that that they will be happy about, not just uh, we will be happy about. So why not do that to, to 
with every human being on the planet. Like if you're traveling somewhere, you want to take a picture of somebody who's a local, get to know them, talk to them, see what they, how they want to be presented and then take a picture. Right. So that's, that's a, that's a big thing that, uh, that we can do to, as photographers, even if you are amateur or professional, Mm -hmm. really center the person we are taking a picture of. It's Mm -hmm. not take our own ego out of the picture. It's not about, I'm the photographer, I'm the artist, I get to create whatever I want. But when I'm taking a picture of somebody, it's like also their story, we can create that photo together. Mm. So that's, that's one thing that we can do. Mm. And the other thing is we can do is give marginalized people a voice to to photo to photograph their own own stories. Mm. One of my favorite exhibitions of all time, photo exhibitions, is by a photographer named Tyler Mitchell, who is now known as Beyonce's photographer for Vogue. Mm. But at that time, he was just an art student in uh, in New York City, and he had this exhibition called "I Can Make You Feel Good," which mm. is also you know you probably find it on his website and stuff. And it's a photography exhibition showing young Black American children Mm. in a a utopia where they were just going to get get into frolic in nature. Mm. So I remember going to this exhibition in New York and watching it. And I'm like, why is this exhibition so interesting? And then I realized you never see pictures like that in media. In at least in the US, when there are pictures of young people frolicking in nature, they they don't they're not black people. They tend to be white people who are, you know, a certain aesthetic and so on, young and so on. So that was a, such an interesting kind of thing. When you let somebody from a marginalized community tell their story, you get such so much more interesting craft and projects and artwork. Even so, I think that that's that's not only good as a DEI effort, it just it just improves the quality of art and craft as a whole. Amazing. Great response. Thank you. My last question to you, uh, Raj, and this is, uh, you know, to ask you that can you share any examples of how you used your photography to shed light on important LGBTQ plus issues or stories? So... I haven't done anything too public, but I do I do work with a lot of LGBT clients in in my branding work. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite projects, I can I can share that. Mm-hmm. It's I worked with this woman who's a lawyer in in New York City, and she is lesbian, and she has this thing about she is extremely well dressed in a very dapper way, which means. Mm-hmm. She wears very like tailored suits mm. and uh, has that that very very well dressed dapper aesthetic. Mm. Mm. So when we when I first talked to her, she was like, and she had very short hair, but she was like, I often get mistaken for mm. being a man, but I am a woman. I just mm. happen to be a woman who dresses very masculine in a certain mm. aesthetic. So can you capture that? Mm. The other interesting thing was that she. Her background was from Colombia. Her parents mm-hmm. were, grew up in Col- Colombia, so she's South mm-hmm. American by origin, even though she'd grown up in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, 50 years ago, I wouldn't have been allowed to practice law. Wow. Like, because I, you know, for my both being gay, being lesbian, and being, you know, from being Latino. Mm-hmm. Like, and so we did our shoot in this building called the New York City Bar Association, which is this couple of hundred years old building mm. with like these mahogany wood uh, uh, decor, decor, like, you know, 
trimmings and they look like one of those grand old buildings with like old law books everywhere and paintings of these dead lawyers everywhere. And that was really important to her mm. because she was like, I wouldn't have been allowed in this room mm. wow. even a few decades ago. It's That was so meaningful to for her to be photographed wearing the way the clothes she wore, presenting the way she, she is in that particular kind of room. Incredible. So I think like, you know, that's a good example, even though yeah. it's not like a public project or something, it's a good example mm. of what photographers can do at an individual yeah. level to, 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 to include clients, like really get to know their stories and help them kind of express that story through your art or your craft. Amazing. Wow. And on that note, Raj, uh, thank you. I mean, I think uh, I had never really understood how deep this whole subject of inclusion can be. And talking of inclusion and photography, I think you've given me a very different perspective. You brought a whole new set of thoughts to the floor in my own brain to you know, say that there are, there are so many different learnings. I, there are so many different aspects. Uh, there are so many times we just point our camera or our phone at somebody and take yeah. a photograph without even realizing that the person we are photographing also has their rights. And yeah. maybe we should take permission from them to even speak about them. I also yeah. realize uh, how short this whole period of inclusion has been. I mean, you know, when you told me about the, the photograph company, which really gave uh, different tones or uh, only 27, 28 years ago, uh, or that there, are, there is so much of uh, uh, challenges of inclusion even today. I mean, I think you've really opened my eyes to a lot of new things. And I'm sure all my viewers and listeners are going to enjoy listening to this conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I could help. And I, I hope that uh, your listeners really think, enjoy this conversation, but also think about it. Nowadays, everyone is a photographer. We all have cameras in our yeah. hands. And so maybe the next time you photograph somebody, maybe try and think about a little bit about who that person is and how they want to be seen. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.